Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment, featuring our Best of the Decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our annual Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Support nonprofit independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name's Nick Rapold, and this is our Sundance edition continued. We are, I guess, winding down a little bit, although the festival has a number of days left, but uh, we're sort of over the hump, I'd say. Um, and for this episode, um, we are, again, you know, recapping what we've seen uh, and anything else that, that comes to mind that might be relevant. Um, but I promise you, we will not talk about anything we've eaten, eaten or not eaten. Um, but without further ado, let me introduce uh, who is joining me. Uh, the brilliant minds known as... I'm Ella Bittencourt, uh, the film critic who's um, writing for Film Comments, Sight and Sound and other places and uh, currently based in Sao Paulo, Brazil. This is Eric Hines. I'm a, a curator of Film Museum and the Moving Image and I am a columnist for Film Comment. I'm very pleased to have you here together. Um, we may be joined later on by, by Devika, who is busily um, going between screenings. Um, and if, if you hear a little background noise, that's just the happy noise of a festival in progress. It lets you know that we're actually here and not pretending to be here. Well, and, and, and we're at the Doubletree Hilton, formerly the Yarrow. Yes. And uh, there's like the, a theater lets out right below us. And so like there is a real coming and going quality it's true. to where we are. Yeah, that's it's very site specific what we do. <laughs> But enough, uh, enough rhubarb and hubbub and hullabaloo. Um, we will talk about... Let's start. You know what? This episode is going to be devoted to not the main, main events, as, as you might call them, um, but things like genre films uh, that might not get as much attention. Uh, also, New Frontier um, and um, Indie Episodic. Um, sections of Sundance that, you know, aren't always on the top of people's lists when they're saying, what did you see? What did you see? What did you see? Um, but of course, are, are part of the um, cornucopia. So um, along those lines, um, we'll start with a horror film, um, Impetigor, uh directed by Joko Anwar. Um, and that's just shown here. Um, and Ella will tell us all about it. Yeah, so I, I mean, I I love genre, and it's um, it's one it's one of my regrets that I've only seen actually one horror film here at Sundance. There are certainly many more. Um, uh, for example, with a film like Shirley, I'm just going to mention some of the, my favorite things in that film, and by Josephine Decker, uh, are precisely the elements of horror when the gothic horror kind of creeps in very delicately into the film. And in that case, of course, it's based because it's partly inspired on the biography of Shirley Jackson, who was a horror and mystery writer. So so it's kind of woven in. But um, with Empatigore, which is the horror film I've seen, it's by an Indonesian filmmaker. And um, what happens in the film, it opens with this very dramatic scene where a young woman who's gotten away from her um, ancestral village life um, 
is and is now working at a at a toll booth on a highway in in the middle of the night suddenly very dramatically discovers that the creepy guy who's been staring her down for three days in a row actually intends to very violently kill her with a machete and i'm not giving anything away because she survives yeah but uh well, but it's kind did, of did i did i did but i'm sorry like okay, the, I, I, I did i did i'm not gonna i'm not gonna that's just the first two minutes and yeah. um i think it's in a couple of the reviews already too and, about that yeah and um <laughs> And so then, but through this, um, she discovers that she may be, um, she may have inherited a house and she's living a fairly poor, you know, impoverished life. I mean, not as a, as a, because after this incident, she gives up the job. It seems like she kind of needs to hide away, is working, selling clothes in this very poor kind of rundown stalls. And, but in, but discovers that she may have inherited this, this house. And in fact, she's been living with her aunt, but discovers that her parents, for whatever reasons, may have given her up and that they were very rich. And she was given up um, and left with her aunt when she was only five. So there's not much that she remembers. And so she and her best friend then go on this journey to this village that's kind of hidden away in the middle of the forest. It seems like it's hard to get there. They chose not to have any way to get there and then kind of will claim inheritance to this house. But of course, this house is absolutely haunted and inhabited by ghosts and there's a very mysterious curse and it just kind of goes on and on and, and becomes a very yeah it, it becomes quite a, a, a bloody horror but it's beautifully shot I mean the cinematography is really beautiful and I think what I really loved about that film is that um, even though it has all the elements of fable and it's um, and kind of folklore horror tale it's very rooted i mean it's it's the journey of this woman and her friend and it's much mu- and it's much about the solidarity between women and how they and and the friendship and how this world is very split into um you know and how this curse is really around how kind of women and pregnancy are stigmatized in this particular village and in general how women have traditionally been treated in this village so even though eventually it devolves into like mother kind of horror and there's this evil side of motherhood and all of this as well um i really enjoyed kind of the textures that it felt like it's you know it's it's enough it has enough of a social background that really gets us engaged in in these women's lives Hmm. yeah and and um i have to ask because anytime i hear there are ghosts or demons in a movie i'm just curious what they look like they don't um yes well they do look like um so i mean Interesting, for a while, they don't look like anything. It's just that everyone, everyone around this young woman seems to sense the presence of the spirit. So the build-up is really wonderful because I, I feel like we're from very early on and also because she's been attacked. So now she's kind of living through trauma. And trauma, of course, always alters reality. So we are always partially in her head. Is she seeing things? Is she not seeing? Eventually, those goats actually look like little girls who have been sacrificed. So here's another level oh, of, of how our girls and women also have been treated. But that's much later on. Yeah. Well, I I, um, I, I caught just the beginning of this. Uh, and I remember they have like these 
child creepy child mannequins in the beginning right yeah, yeah but they're not ghosts right so right, that's right. i mean that's yeah. kind of lovely there's a lot of yeah. suggestiveness in the film yeah, yeah where you think that maybe ghostly things are happening but mm. um but at the same time it could have just been a mannequin that's fallen or an elderly man on the bus which who's just bored and strikes up a conversation about whatever he's sensing in the moment so i think it's it gets a lot of mileage out of knowing how to build up that kind of story and mm-hmm. um, and not being too blunt about it and then eventually getting to the sacri- sacrifice and all the fun details. <laughs> Let's the cut to the sacrifice. That's what I'm always yelling in the back <laughs> of the theater. Uh, it's gotten me thrown out a couple of times. But, uh, um, so that's in Pedagor. Um, I guess that was a midnight showing originally yes, at one point. Is. Yeah, yeah. So that must have been... Um, Spine chilling. Um, I will talk about my own spine chilling experiences, but first, um, Eric. Yes. You've sampled um, the indie episodic specifically. <laughs> I saw an indie episodic, an, uh, an episodic series in indie episodic. Mm-hmm. There's actually a, a few others that I want to see before I leave here. Um, because, I mean, just briefly about indie episodic, it's this it was introduced, I don't know how many years ago, three years ago maybe, um, to the festival. Um, and uh, there's... There, it's a, the festival is a platform to premiere certain episodic series. Uh, programs have a platform already, but it's actually um, an opportunity for really truly independent series um, that do not have a platform as of yet to premiere and have an opportunity to find um, a platform going forward. And that happened um, several years ago with Steve James' um, America to Me, um, where it oh, came, yeah. to the, came to the festival and did not have a platform. And then I believe like just a few days into it, um, it found its, its way. Steve James has a new um, episodic series that is also looking for a platform um, uh, called City So Real. Um, and it is, I mean, America to me was this epic 10 hour, uh, 10 episode, 10 plus hour series. And, uh, here they showed five, the first five episodes, which was extraordinary to be able to see a similar situation here where it's actually a four episode series. And they showed the first two episodes last night. Um, and it is yet another, like immensely valuable, incredibly uniquely entertaining series. Um, this one is um, uh, sort of like, as Steve James has described it, kind of like the life, sort of the career long um, ambition, which is to basically make something that is really just about Chicago. Um, and so this is really just kind of a love letter, but also a snapshot, love letter to snapshot of Chicago right now. Um, that's, that's his hometown, right? Which or? is his hometown. Yeah. He lives actually just, just outside of Chicago. If you show America to me, he lives in a suburb just outside. Um, but anyway, you know, so, so he's had a, a you know, lived in, in, in that area for a very long time. And he has kind of a lifelong or at least a career long sense of, you know, real knowledge of the place. And, and, and you, this came through in America to me as well, where you, there's a kind of real beautiful ease to it it just kind of flows out and the real confidence to kind of go from character to character location to location to pick a moment in any particular moment that's just concentrate on something specific before going back out into general that kind of fluidity it's hard to imagine a filmmaker having that ability unless they really really know what they're talking about and they know the area so i mean it, it basically it is somewhat structured around the mayoral election of early 2019 so it starts in like I think summer 2018 and goes through um, the election in early 
2019 and mm. the first two episodes don't get us that far they get us to i think around december or christmas time um and yeah i i don't know like it's uh you ha- what else to say about um steve james's abilities as a documentary filmmaker but like there's um there is a horse race aspect of it. We are following a, a large group of candidates as they make their way. You know, Rahm Emanuel drops out of the race or decides not to go for re-election in the beginning of the first episode, which kind of really sends things to, un- in, to unpredictable places. But it's also like it's about, you know, by being so granularly about Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, it's a cliche to say this, but it's always true. It winds up being about pretty much every American city because every American city has like, whatever, you know, aldermen or council, you know, mm-hmm. uh, councilmen or councilwomen. Um, they have issues about real estate. And, you know, Chicago is famously the most, you know, uh, stratified city in America in terms mm-hmm. of like race and class. And, you know, it, he finds this way of, yes, there's an arc of an election, but there's also an opportunity to do the snapshot of a particular moment in time. It's also an opportunity to basically call attention to how each one of these neighborhoods has their own little culture and their own little socioeconomic dynamism. Um, and just, which I just found so thrilling, you mm-hmm. know, and he has got a little map in the left hand corner of Chicago with all the little towns. And every time you drop down in one, he lets you know where you are. Oh, that's great. So you're really located in this city. Um, and so anyway, so issues of gentrification, um, issues of race, issues of, you know, um, uh, the, honestly, like, you know, like uh, police brutality and mm-hmm. uh, violence throughout the city, you know, which are, of course, nationally, a national topic in terms of the way that Donald Trump constantly recites Chicago. Um, anyway, like there's there's a real vitality to looking at a city like this over this period of time, um, because like I said, it really does feel like it's about all of America uh, mm-hmm. at the same time as is this very very special uh look at at this particular city like there are these things that he does just to sort of give give a little bit more specific uh, briefly a little more specificity there's a scene um in the south side of chicago in a barber shop where you see black men get into their differences how they see their own city and their own issues around race mm-hmm. um and around aspiration very differently and you see heated 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 fighting on this topic which you just simply never get a chance to see there's this assumption that from where you come from defines who you are as if there were not people who have different opinions from within that so you're afforded that and then he does this thing where again a risky move cuts to an italian barbershop in a in, in the west of chicago where they see the world wildly differently mm-hmm. and he just lets them sit there side by side and you may have a sense of like who you're more sympathetic to or which side of any argument you might be on but he lets these things exist and he lets them have a certain breathing room so that there can be humor and there can be disagreement and there could be people who you know are about to leave that spot and go off to their lives and do something different but you have enough time to do that and outside of a frederick wiseman film um the i don't know that i've seen genuinely thrilling footage of minutiae around the election the sort of Mm. notorious you know um you know like those everybody knows that chicago has kind of a screwed up political system Mm -hmm. you get to see the 
total granular view of the minutia of the Chicago political system, <laughs> which like as soon as you you get into that space and you can't, it's incredibly entertaining and revealing and shocking, and it it could be an entire film entirely on its own. And you know, Steve joked about that after the film, like this, this that that's an entire Wiseman film right. that he tried to cover in about twenty minutes. Anyway, so. I haven't seen the last two episodes. I look forward to seeing them. Um, it's a pretty significant piece of work. Yeah, no, it's funny. You mentioned the Wiseman and an election, uh, an election documentaries or, you know, governmental process. Because the way you're describing it, it sounds like this this contains like five to six subcategories of documentary. In, oh, totally. In, so I, I, you know. Which could be a mess, but yeah. If they're, they're, you know, it's, they, they pull it off, I think. Yeah, like, because a police brutality documentary has its own typical beats, you mm-hmm. know, and even a city, city overview or day in the life of the city has its own political document is its own you know small town opinion whatever as well that's funny and 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 the ability to get into a beat like that about right. protest you know um and do a space like that and then be able to say i'm gonna make a cut here and we're gonna go somewhere totally different in this city yeah. and by a, a, that container of the film being the city you're allowed to do that yeah <laughs> well that's the magic of movies yep um, and the freedom of an episodic too. I feel like he's kind of really working with what he what he can pull off in these sixty minute segments. Well, while Eric was describing City So Real, somebody walked in. Devika Girish, assistant editor at Film Comment. Um, and we do things like this just to keep the podcast unpredictable. <laughs> uh, you never know. It had nothing to do with naps or, you know, any such, any Absolutely such not. things. No, Nick no. promised we weren't going to talk about food or sleep in this podcast. Oh, see, I missed that. <laughs> you missed so. that part. The rules, the, yeah. The ground rules. I'm here to mix things up, you know. Um, well, we're definitely going to mix things up because we're going to be talking about the funky New Frontier section. Um, which uh, I think Ella and Devika um, sampled a little of. Can you tell us what it's all about? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned funky because one of the (laughs) VR experiences I've done was becoming a mushroom. You walk into an environment, I forget, um, I think it's Hydra, right, is one of the pieces. Um, Okay, it's one of the VR experiences I had at the New Central when you kind of walk in and you guide it through this environment where fungus grows all around you. You become a mushroom? Well, I mean, you realize, you you, you, as you're in this kind of immersive environment, you realize you've got some kind of, uh, it makes you feel like you've got some kind of appendix on you and there's mushrooms roomy things colliding into you and floating around you but then you kind of realize that you're also a fungus so and i've been haunted by fungus on my life because i have allergies so that was a very strange experience but no i mean that was one of the things i uh, i've done in 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 vr but i mean of Mm -hmm. course new frontier is is much more than that so um and uh, it includes work um, by Skyhopinka Malni, which is one of the, I think, the highlights here for me at Sundance. And then the the other thing that which I'll talk about is the the live performance that. I saw yesterday, which is called Infinitely Yours. And it was a live performance by an experimental animation artist, Miwa Matrayek, who I understand um, did her work originally in CalArts. And she has this um, she has this screen that she apparently tours with. She was asked yesterday why, you know, at a film festival she was doing her work on stage with such a tiny screen and she basically is a one-woman show or sometimes a two-person. Mm. Yesterday she was in a duo 
show. So um, I love the idea of her kind of, it, it almost like harks back to the old puppet theaters and, you know, kind of things that you would put in the back of the truck or in Shakespearean times, just kind of Moliere times, kind of troop traveling around. I think that's, that's very much her ethic and it was really nice to see that. But what the performance consisted of was... Um, we, uh, it was a back projection animation, as I understood. There was also animation. And then she would be behind the screen. So it was like shadow theater. And it was really beautiful. I mean, mm. I didn't mention, but actually in Pettigore, there are also absolutely wonderful oh. details of shadow theater and puppeteer performances that are very lovely to see. Mm. And so um, Miwa was also doing it on stage. Now, what she called her piece, she called it kind of like um, ecological crisis lament. Um, so what her animation consists of, and it had live music yesterday I, uh, by um, apparently uh, um, an L.A.-based musician uh, who's called Sorn. Um, and so um, what her piece consisted of was the animation just shows her kind of making her way through this apocalyptic landscape of cities rising and of course everything that arrives with it the the garbage the plastic the the um there's a beautiful kind of shadow also um animation of burning forests and pretty much everything we see in the news but just kind of turned into this very kind of mournful climactic beautiful animation i mean it was a really stunning piece and i mm. recently i was in the audience with the la-based critic bob keller and we have both recently read uninhibitable Earth, oh. Life Post Warming, which is such a scary book, which details just about everything that we had ha have ahead of us and mm -hmm. the the horrible changes that are going to take place when our waters are, you know, as our waters are rising or some of them that we are already seeing. And all of it is in her piece, but kind of woven into this very beautiful mosaic. So mm -hmm. um, I thought it was just great to, to see it in the yeah. context of and also because it was so different from VR. I mean, it felt so tactile in so many ways yeah yeah so that's that's interesting um and i mean that's yeah i should have said that new frontier is kind of different forms of media art and yeah. and and that's right. that's interesting because that's almost more of like a analog version of right media. right yeah. so and so is sky's film right i think yeah. that those are one of the but like a lot of it and i haven't seen enough i you have seen more right davika uh, i've I, seen a couple others you've seen not, a couple not of as it. much as i yeah like either and i'm regretting that now right. because the film that I saw, film or movie, moving image piece that I yeah. saw yesterday called Black News, spelled B-L-K-N-W-S by Khalil Joseph. Um, I sort of, when I walked into it, I thought, okay, I'm so tired uh, right now. And this is like, it's, it's like a play on news and uh, like the news addiction industrial complex and kind of trying to uh, create like an alternate version of that. And... It's, it's somehow like even more omnivorous and collage-like than actual news. And so when it began, there's like a lot of just rapidly cutting lots of different images pulled from the internet, pulled from movies, you know, various sources. Um, and my immediate reaction was, I don't know if I can sit through something so stimulating right now, just, you know. But just five or six min minutes into it, it's some. It was somehow so mesmerizing and immersive and beautiful, um, and it was actually so refreshing 
to experience that after just watching feature films all day. And it's a two channel um, installation. I don't know what the right word for it is, honestly. Um, it's, it, it's displayed in two adjacent screens, um, but it, it was like presented as a 47 minute film, but it is embedded all in various sites right now all over America and also within Park City as an installation and yeah, it's, it's been at the at the the Sheridan headquarters there's a there's a monitor continuously playing right right, right. and and there's um, there are sites there's uh, it's commissioned by museums as well he said because he had a Q&A after that was really interesting uh, it's been bought by collectors so there are people who have it in their homes and it's also embedded in sites like barber shops and just you know other geographical sites and he controls all the sites with you know he has sort of like uh, he's able to change what's playing in all the sites like through a single control and he's constantly updating the programming uh, and and he apparently had initially pitched it as a TV show. He actually wanted to do something equivalent to the Jon Stewart show or, you know, have it be a pilot um, and just have it be this like alternate kind of news program that tracked like local stories and arranged news uh, and current events in sort of a different way. And, and he said no network bought it. But museums were interested, and you know he's been an artist uh, and a video, a music video director. He's done all that kind of moving image work, and so when museums started commissioning it, it just he adapted to what was demanded of him, and so he kind of reframed it as um, an eco project, where he said, you know, if I, they actually bought my show, I would have spent thousands of dollars, flown to various cities, you know, equipment, all of this, filmed these things. I was just forced to get things from the internet and make collages out of it. And I could tell the same story because the story exists somewhere on the internet and I just have to cut it up and place it. Um, so, you know, it was an kind of interesting way, way of looking at patchwork well, I, I think I'll just say one more thing that yeah. what I really loved about the new frontier was also that uh, it, it was also a, a, a different idea of a screen. I mean, just the fact that we're so used to having the cinematic screen, but there she was activating it with her own body. I mean, she behind the screen was making it seem like, you know, she was making for us not just with the animation, this mosaic, but with her own body because she had a whole dance choreography where sometimes only certain body parts would appear here at the edge of the frame or she could make it seem as though she's floating she could make it make it seem as though she's drowning in tidal waters or as if she's walking through a burning forest mm. I mean it was just such a gorgeous thing I'm, I'm going to yeah. definitely seek out more of her works and it's very exciting that she's touring I mean I think that means that if you find her on YouTube apparently I think next stop bit stop for her is Philly so oh. um, hopefully whoever's listening to us right now maybe in another city can catch her work as well yeah, yeah. well it's, it's just a quick note to, to bring these two things together just how new frontier we haven't said this necessarily specifically but it it, it in some ways a lot of that work exists in the art world more than exists in the film world and there's a different economy associated with that so it's so interesting right. that there's just like a third economy here in terms of like broadcast television attempt which was rejected which then leads it to actually exist in the art world um and now it's being presented at a film festival, which is just right. fascinating. And, and 
Yeah. And and something he said that I thought was very interesting and very honest of him was he said when it was commissioned by the art world, he decided he couldn't just do like a TV show because uh, everything has been done in the art world. Like everything you can think of has been done. So it needed to be conceptually stronger. And right. I thought that was right. an, a, that was, a, you know, an interesting insight. And to me, what was really exciting was that just having two screens side by side does not seem like such a radical concept. You know, two channel sure. installations exist. But I felt like he managed to do something kind of unique. It wasn't just playing with images being next to each other, generating new meanings or new narratives. I couldn't actually exactly find a word for, you know, the kind of rhythmic um, sort of parallel thing that was happening. But then he described it as, you know, he was trying to mimic turntables. And that actually, you know, everything clicked into picture for me. Because one of the best things about the whole project is the soundtrack uh, composed by Justin Leroy. And it's just like... It's it's interesting how you think when you're watching news, you are guided by audio. I mean, there's certain kinds of beats and repetitions that keep you hooked and keep you following the narrative in a certain way. And he's doing that, but with just like electronic music, uh, which is just like mixed up very much. And it affects the pace at which you consume things, or, you know, irrespective of how they're shown. They're like, it inserts a certain kind of beat. So there's this... And and he, I, I tried to like write down as many of the little pieces of footage as I could, but there, I mean, it's like it's something else every other maybe second, sometimes a minute. So it was hard. But you know, there's like Arthur Jaffa films. There's um, there's a really beautiful sequence uh, about like black people going to the moon, and there's like footage of just like rockets and the Earth from space, and of this uh, really lovely short. Uh, from a few years ago called Afronauts. Um, and there's like, you know, so there's like all these little bits that just are so omnivorous. And uh, there's an, another beautiful section where it's an audio clip from a book, In the Wake, Blackness and Being by Christina Sharp. And she's reading this passage about blackness as it relates to the transatlantic slave trade and the experience of being in the ocean among sharks you know kind of melding the actual history of that uh, of that reality with kind of into something more abstract about what you know blackness and um, being endangered and being adrift means and it's just it's cross cut with footage of sharks with scenes from movies you know which depict the uh, uh, which depict slave ships and it's I don't know and then it switches to things like memes you know and like uh, scenes from like rapper rappers videos from like this year or last year and there's this just it, it feels your news we associate with being current and he is Khalil is updating it constantly with new programming and kind of making it more contemporary but it's really ahistorical in a sense and it's like constructing these very large narratives that aren't that are about the present moment but they're not tied to the present moment and it, yeah i i just realized like i consume this sort of barrage of images and noises all the time and it never actually makes me think it just makes me kind of consume or like absorb it and that every day we watch news and it's kind of avant-garde i mean news if you turn on a news channel it's kind of avant-garde but it, this this is this was a way to really embrace that side of it. 
Uh, and and I should say he has like little segments that have actual anchors too. So they're seg- segments that he's shot, and they're like Black News anchors, and they appear on screen with like with their names at the bottom and like a caption as if they were a newscaster. Um, and he said that his his idea is to kind of make this into a media empire, and you know have. And he was like wearing Black News merch, and it, like you said, I think there's like an economic sort of business side to things. I don't know if that's part of the performance of it all. Like there's like an invisible, like he has projected an empire onto this two channel or multi-channel installation that um, that itself is kind of questioning what we think of like TV and news and, and I art. I think with like Infinitely Yours, definitely as Eric said, I think that the art world footprint is very strong there because I think anyone who's like seen Kara Walker's work or have seen the gorgeous animation, political animations and, and the kind of work that William Kentridge has done for the opera is going to strongly identify with this piece. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I for me, it was just a delight to like see CalArts pop up because it's one of the schools I I think that that experimental animation with like Janie Geyser and Pia Borg recently and just so many talented people since, I don't know, 60s pretty much. I mean, it's just so exciting to see that that school is, I think, one of the great strengths of like American experimental filmmaking, basically. Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment featuring our best of the decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Garish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our best of the year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Plus, Alex Ross Perry on screenwriting, Phoebe Chen on NYFF sensation Martin Eden, Albert Serra on the scandalous Liberté, along with the reviews, articles, and columns that make every issue of Film Comment a must-read. Support nonprofit, independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. What you're describing reminded me of the, the piece that's at the Met right now, um, which is also kind of, well, it's totally different, but constructs this kind of vast narrative out of a collage of, of historical um, you know, um, footage and, and, and images. And, uh, um, so yeah, I just wanted to, and then of course, Godard, I think uh, if anyone remembers the quote better than me, but basically the front page of the newspaper, any given day is like a work of surrealism is, 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 um, good one. Um, so yeah, so that's new frontier. Um, let's hop over to, well, maybe I should, this seems appropriate. If we were talking about frontiers, I can briefly talk about Tesla perhaps, um, Michael Almereda. Yes. Is mm-hmm. it a biopic? Is it fair to call it that? Or a biopic? It, I mean, it's 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 based on a it's a historic he's a historical character. I mean, a biopic seems to describe a whole life maybe more typically. Right. This one um Ethan Hawke plays um um Yeah. Nikolai Tesla, um who I'd like to think is a kind of cult scientist figure. Um, I mean, after all, he he was played by David Bowie at one point, isn't he? Yeah. In, uh, yes, he was. One of the dueling magician movies. I forget yeah. which one. Yes, he was. Oh, uh, wait, the, wait, yeah, which one was that? The, was it The Prestige? The or Prestige, was it? yeah, but David Bowie? I thought David Bowie played yeah. it. Yeah, God, it I Bowie. completely forgot. It was Bowie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, New, New so Jersey, strange New, things have happened. New Jersey legend, Nikolai Tesla. Is it, It's about Nikolai Tesla, um, played by Ethan Hawke. And, you know, this is... I think there's a certain subgenre of, I don't want to say low budget, but, um, you know, 
um, resourcefully budgeted New York period pieces that have a dash or more of, of deadpan and maybe also a, t- a touch of um, the kind of knowingness of like a, a stage production, but also the, the artifice of a stage production and also the minimal background of stage production. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of, you know, Kyle MacLachlan um, plays Thomas Alva Edison um, and um, who else is, is in it? I mean, there are a couple of newer faces in it. I have to say, in some ways, this felt like a very sumptuously illustrated documentary. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but just to kind of frame it in that way made more sense to me. I mean, yeah, because basically you'll have scenes where Tesla is uneasily dealing with some conversation or situation, usually related both to his brilliance and to his inability and lack of acumen with business or dealing with, you know, Edison, who's a complete shark, um, just a moment for Edison. <laughs> he's known as an inventor, but I think he's probably should be better known as just more popularly known as just like the most like predatory patent gobbling. His rep, his, his rep has caught up to him a bit. Has it? Think, okay, yeah, that's good. sort of sort he's of like. Canceled? Well, no, I wouldn't call that, but I think he's yeah. he's known as being rapacious, kind of pred- rapacious and yeah. a capitalist as much as he is a because I just a scientist. He's a key figure in that case. It's that like you know whatever survives in history has often more to do with figures like that than figures like tesla which makes tesla kind of a romantic figure you know he's like he's this brilliant guy but he just can't get his ideas you know can't put him into into action can't realize everything and by the end is kind of having like increasingly like you know astounding stories (laughs) type like science fiction sounding visions of the world um um ethan hawk i thought it was kind of interesting because he mostly of his vocal acting in this movie he chooses this kind of which, which is often the domain of stage acting for him. Like he's a great voice actor on stage, but not necessarily in films, which is interesting that you said there's a stagey quality. That is interesting. Yeah, it's this kind of growly thing he does. I mean, I really admire it because he made a choice and it totally works. It's probably the most interesting thing. Other than that, it's just kind of, he's a kind of reserved, kind of diffident um, figure. Um, at least doesn't capitulate to like deadpan. But again, this is the kind of like New York period drama where 10 minutes in, I was like, I bet Josh Hamilton is in this. And then, sure enough, <laughs> Josh Hamilton appears. Well, that's the Hawk effect. And yeah. he wants Hamilton there as much as possible. Yeah, so he, he pops up. And he's basically there to kind of almost like waggle his eyebrows when someone says something. I swear, it's like a minimal um, role. But I will always love him since kicking and screaming. Anyway, um, so, yeah, so that's – so it's it, – what I mean by documentary also is that the dramatic scenes, um, which basically follow, follow like Tesla and Edison kind of – you know, dueling a little with the literally their AC, DC, the competition between which type of electrical current system was going to be dominant in the, in the United States. Um, you know, Almereda typically drawn to this really like just this kind of uh, flashpoint moment in, in, in history where incredible things were, were happening. Anything could seem impossible. And yeah, the foundations for early modernity were being laid down um, in the most like, yeah, rubber baron ways. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the sequences, act, uh, the drama sequences are interspersed with one of the characters narrating like extra documentary material basically with a, sometimes with a slideshow um and i mean it's informative but i have to say like the movie's momentum is is, is very let's just say level um and, and that's a function of its script mostly yeah i mean like. it's 
it's one of those movies where I know that the the right direct director has is drawing his boundaries and bounding himself in, but that still doesn't excuse the kind of I don't know humble humble feeling of it. Um, that's so you know that's that's Tesla. Um, there's some anach- funny and anachronistic things that happen, especially something at the end, which kind of felt like a I don't know if it really landed, but um, karaoke, um, sort of not karaoke, but anyway um <laughs> live a performance was, moment a performance moment evocative you, this was an evocative uh delivery i mean like I, I'm, I'm curious yeah but you've made you've made it you suggestive made, it's suggestive yes yeah. i feel like i see certain things because i don't want to i don't want to knock him because he's he's always trying to see things askew a little i mean here they had marjorie prime here at sundance a few years ago um yeah. and yeah experimenter i, I loved um, and I, when he introduced, uh, uh Almoreda introduced the film, he mentioned Hamlet from 2000, where he also worked with Ethan Hawke, um, kind of an underrated millennial movie, Indeed. I think. Indeed. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's Tesla. Um, and I think we have time for maybe one or two more movies. Um, Eric, I think, um, you mentioned you had seen some kind of some kind of heaven. Yes, in the in the in the next category. In the next category. So we're um, just leaping categories. Like <laughs> um so yeah, so some kind of heaven, uh which is the f- debut film of uh young filmmaker Lance Oppenheim, who um I mean exciting for him, but also kind of like harrowing, I think, for the predominantly older audiences here that he turned twenty-four on the day of his premiere at <laughs> the festival. Something Wait, something really really stark about at wow. 24 is very young. Yes. Um, this is an, this is an accomplished film. Um, it is, uh, you know, there's a it's a it's in the next section, but it was introduced as the only quote unquote documentary film in the next section, and I guess which is interesting because it's a there are hybrid elements to it, and there are elements to it that are in some ways significantly more documentary like than some of the U.S. or world documentary films. So you know. They can put things wherever they want them, but like there's something about um, yeah. uh, that even being discussed in that way because I do think that it's it's borrowing from some filmmakers or at least maybe riffing on some aesthetic and formal approaches of some filmmakers who were also kind of straddling a certain line. Um, I, the, the filmmakers that come to mind and what he's doing would be Errol Morris and Ulrich, Ulrich Seidel, mm. um, and it is it's set in the sort of the, the like the world's largest retirement community in Florida, um, and uh, and is like sort of overtly stylized. Like it's from the very, very beginning. Um, it's going to kind of have its way in terms of being cinematic. Um, it has a sort of, uh, that said, you know, it's... Um, I mean, the, the community is it. also like, a, it's like Disneyland for retirees or something. Right. And there's almost, I felt like there's already so much ostentation and some this weird artificiality in that setting and community. Of course. And... and the filmmaking is playing on that. Of course. I mean, it's, it's there, you know, like there's, I mean, the filmmaking I think does sort of um, press on it a little bit, um, but it's also obviously clearly there. Like these like, sort of myriad of social activities that everyone gets involved with. It's a fully self-contained community. Um, and, you know, I, so which, which there are things that I find very interesting about it. One of them being is that I don't think, there's a way if you're a 24-year-old filmmaker making a film about old people, you could disguise yourself as being somebody who's like, you know, like um, that uh, 
tries to sort of like downplay the fact that this is a young person making a film about old people. But I actually think that there's a real tension there between a young artist and older subjects, which is not always, doesn't always feel great and doesn't always, I think you don't always know if you feel like you're being asked to consider them as comedic or, 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 or not. But I actually think that's kind of what's one of the things that's interesting about it. Um, that I think that there's, there's a way to kind of pull back and say, oh no, 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 I'm, you know, whatever, I'm, I, I'm doing something that's kind of more austere and more sort of like uh, embedded than this, but it doesn't ever quite feel like that. It feels collaborative, but it doesn't feel embedded. And I, and, and there's, a, there's a way in which I think ethically that's even more, uh, I think that's, that's the right call. Um, anyway, but what it winds how, up being... How do you think that line is drawn between embedded I don't, I don't and, a, and, and... You said embedded versus it's not, collaborative. It's not, in terms of being like lo a long-form observational piece, and okay. it's not. Um, and so it's more conversant, and there are a lot of two shots. There's a lot of interviews. Um, and there's sort of... There are these kind of um, montage elements, which are probably the more colorful ones, where you see the sort of different ways that people behave or how they socially interact or the different environments that they're in, which are hard not to like be kind of a little bit sort of surprised by. But what he winds up focusing on, quite frankly, is loneliness. And there are two figures who are single, and then there's a couple, and they're all kind of navigating... Um, as, a, as somebody who is sort of in between the filmmaker and the subjects, I, I find very moving and very relatable um, scenarios. And I find up, and, and again, there's this tension where I feel like I'm protecting them from him or I want to. At the same time, I'm grateful to him for introducing these people to me. At the same time as there's this clearly a collaborative thing where they are trusting him. And there's something about that interplay that yields the film as it is. So it, it it was a fascinating experience that I, I that I had that um, I was glad that my fears that the potential of stealing myself against a twenty four year old making a film about eighty year olds um, it it was more interesting than that. There's there, there's something fertile there that I was grateful for, but I didn't realize you'd seen it. Yeah, I did. Uh -huh. And actually, the way you're describing it, I didn't know he was my age. <laughs> <laughs> and that like grief. I and you're the way you're talking about it as, you know from the perspective also of someone who's between, uh, you know, it's kind of reframing how my uh, reaction to the film, because uh. I had a very particular kind of reaction. And now I'm thinking, okay, so I'm watching someone who is viewing these people from like my from your vantage place. point, yeah. uh, so to speak. And I think I was more skeptical than you, again, without the knowledge. I mean, I don't know if the knowledge of it, that he's young changes anything, but it, it does make it a more, I think, even more impressive achievement just as, as a formal as a achievement. Form, it's yeah. a really... Just a you know beautiful and kind of well crafted film with lots of strong ideas. Um, I guess I I did feel like so. There's a lot of films at Sundance about old people and aging, and I guess I'm I've, I'm becoming a little sensitive to depictions of old people as curiosities or as just like the fat aging as a as loneliness in itself. I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like there's probably more to it. And there there were moments in this film where I thought that there was a narrative being imposed on some of these characters that I don't think I could like just see in their daily lives. And there's certain cutaways, um, there's, you know, certain ways in which there's a, like some close-ups and cutaways, certain insertions that I think project 
a certain emotion onto onto a particular character. Like there, one of the characters is this um, woman who who lost her husband about four months ago. She's lonely and looking for a romantic partner. She also works all the time. And then she finds this guy who works at the, uh, I, I, I didn't quite understand what he does. Like, he well, he, he's, he's a golf cart salesman. Oh, that's what he is. Yeah. Which already says a lot about this environment. Yeah. yeah. And then he's, he takes her to this like all day margarita party or something. I mean, all of this is really fun pa- a parrot to watch. Party. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the Jimmy, Jimmy, Bu- Jimmy Buffett. Buffett. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, cult. right. Yeah. And they're what? Buff- uh, they're parrot, parrot heads. heads. They're parrot, parrot heads. heads. Yes. Um, and, and there's a moment where they're sort of dancing and then she goes to get a drink. And when, the, when she comes back, he's just dancing adjacent to someone. And he does like a close up of her face. And, mm. I didn't necessarily think that she was even reacting sure. to that sure, sure. sight, but it makes you think that she is like seeing the man that she's interested in with someone else and that she's sad. Yeah, yeah. And then later there's like this kind of zoom out shot of her alone, just kind of dancing along in like a semi-empty, again, uh, like a park or something. And these felt a bit cruel to me. Right. I, I, wanna, I, I want to believe that this woman is not so easily you know it's so susceptible to loneliness and maybe she is but i'm not convinced by the filmmaking right, right. that she is right and there were other moments too i mean there's one of the characters it's like he developed i don't he's an addict or he's just using drugs more than he should and gets into some legal troubles yeah i'm just i mean i mean utterly fascinating character i mean a man <laughs> in his 80s who like in their like nearly 50 year of marriage decided in this point in his life that he's going to become like really into yoga really into experimental drugs and just has and cocaine ex- in full, his wallet full eccentric eccentric with cocaine in his wallet yeah, yeah 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 but see it would be more interesting to me if this was just presented as it is rather than kind of the filmmaker belaboring the point that this is strange just well I, I have to say, I mean, I, 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 I agree about the like reaction See, shots. You didn't even know that Nick saw this. Nick I just have. shows up here, too. I just too. jumped out of the bushes. Yeah, even Sorry. I didn't know you yeah. <laughs> No. He was waiting to I, hear no. everything we had to say. I did say, yeah. Preparing his argument. He's very stealth like that. No, yeah, ruthless. What are you um, saying? No, just I, I agree about the reaction shots. Uh, you know, that's something that always bugs me. It's, it's really kind of juvenile at this point in documentary to be doing that sometimes. In that case, I mean, they had kind of established a storyline, so it didn't bother me. Uh, as as much um I, yeah it could have been more persuasive um the i do have to say the golf cart salesman did kind of seem to be into the person he was dancing with he, they were <laughs> just um, standing next to each other i i think there was an energy there i don't know if this uh, is like I an think, age thing. i think it was slightly physical i have to say but I but, but, but i do want to say and, and this is not me i don't even, i don't mean to put too much into it because i think all these things bother me like these reaction shots this sort of crafting can be bothersome I think, and, and the fact that the film didn't support that th- that that that, that uh, assertion about her loneliness for you is significant criticism. Um, but I do think that there's, it's almost so familiar some of those techniques that I almost feel like I'm being challenged as a viewer to um, be sympathetic beyond how I, I might be sympathetic. So I'm sympathetic towards her for maybe being lonely. Mm-hmm. I'm also a bit sympathetic that she's being made into an object by the film, and. I think I'm allowed to think that because it's such a those choices are so deliberate that there's a way in which I'm there's a triangulation, I guess, that I was experiencing between the decisions the filmmaker is having towards the subjects and my relationships to the subject, which in a way can be uh, there can be an integrity to that because when you try to 
when you're so convinced when he can when they when the film convinces you of her loneliness in a more in a less um clunky way there's some i think there's some ethical you know issues there as well where you're basically crafting something that isn't disputable whereas there's a room for dispute to some degree because these choices are so obvious but I mean, she might not be lonely. That's my, I mean, the film doesn't have to convince me that she's lonely in a less clunky way. Maybe, no, you're right. You're right. You know? I mean, she does say that she's looking for somebody. Okay, she does I say just, that she wants to meet somebody. Right. Maybe a, the, a the extent of the loneliness was maybe a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little no, bit. Totally. But I, I see what you're saying. I just wonder if every viewer would come to it with like such Probably engagement not. as you. Probably not. Yeah. I just don't think it's a bad, for me, it wasn't a bad thing that I felt like I wanted to come to her defense. Because the film give, gave me room to come to her defense right. rather than just felt like, oh, this is a full characterization of this person. I know her. Mm. No, I didn't feel like I fully know her. I feel like I, there's something superficial about the treatment there. Yeah, that definitely I'm a very aware deliberate of. film. So I think that's something I can grant to the filmmaker. Every, yeah, right. Everything is very deliberate. I mean, I, I like that it was focused on, on loneliness. I mean, I. I don't know. That seems entirely a possibility of, of, of old age and with these particular people, and especially in a place where you're told this is the place to live, you have everything you need, and everyone's repeating that in an, with almost desperate repetition that everything you need is here. Um, and, I do, and I do think that the, the character, which we're not, again, we shouldn't, we don't have to keep talking about this film, but there's a yeah. character who's the least eccentric of all, who I think is actually the heart of the film for me, which is the wife of this eccentric yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, drug experimenter. Um, <laughs> and, and, and she, in some ways, exposes herself and potentially as much as anybody does and i feel mm-hmm. like she really holds the screen mm-hmm. and she is as knowable as she wants us to for, for she's allowing us to be yeah and and i feel like there's a real i don't know solidity to her um yeah her presence in the film yeah i, I agree with that yeah i think her arc was like genuinely heartbreaking i mean i didn't question the sadness of her storyline yeah. um but there were some orchestrated bits in her and her oh, yeah. husband's story too, which kind of took me out of it. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this this all is so interesting, that Devika, what you're just saying, because it brings me back to where we were when we started into the movie, which is it's in the next section. So I have to say kind of why. <laughs> no, in a way, because actually the, yeah. what, when I stepped out of this movie, part of what I didn't, what, part of what I had like mixed feelings about was it felt old fashioned to me in a way. But, but you know, Eric, you mentioned Eldrick Seidel. So I can see that, but is that just shorthand for showing people in their like, you know, weaker or lonelier moments? You know, is this in the next session, is this avant-garde at Sundance because it's focused on loneliness and sadness? <laughs> well, what and is the next you know section? Re- is the next section because generationally the filmmakers are younger or? No, not at all. No. So the next section is really the avant-garde of, as opposed to the new frontier I, I, I feel like you're the new frontier which is your the feeling more. about what nef- next section is is probably as interesting as whatever I could say in response to that I know what it was when it first was invented okay. but it's evolved over time what um, was it when it was first invented it was really more about um, sort of lower budget um, filmmaking oh, I think there was okay. actually a threshold for like the a budget for mm. the for the section which I think they were identifying that other festivals like South by Southwest were kind of taking these really valuable films that somehow didn't seem to make it their way into the competition areas here so they created yeah. next um, but in a sense it, be- it became less than that and more of just boundary pushing in some ways a boundary pushing category yeah just but that, in a different way than the new frontier that is also boundary exactly. pushing but much more about the more vr about, inclusivity these are really films. right 
yeah, it was. I mean, what are some of the other films in next? I think that would help try and sort of elucidate. I don't know how I much Black, it will. I don't know how much it will try. It will help. Black because, Bear, I, mean, I think, is one. Black Bear is one. Uh, the Heidi Ewing film. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's. I don't know. That's the next section. Always constantly evolving. Um, I have to. I just want to say final please. thought that I really appreciated this discussion about the film. I don't know. I think it deepened the way that I've been thinking about it. So, thank you. Oh please! <laughs> I'm not bummed that I didn't go to next section because I think I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the map for next year because you're uh, gonna just park and, yourself just, in the next no, section. No, no, because now I'm out. so curious because I would really like to know like what's the conversation between the next section and the new frontier. I mean, mm. other than VR, but I feel like I, Sky Hopinka is a new frontier. So there's I, I don't some think there's of, any relationship. I think there's less relationship between next and new frontier than between then next and, and and the other competitions. Interesting. Yeah, but, but then it gets muddled a little as well because um, Pedro Costa is. Fam- famously here but it's in the new frontier the new section frontier as like he's just yeah. beyond the beyond, beyond, the beyond. <laughs> they don't they don't want to ruffle any feathers and here. you know and and camera person famously played in new frontier oh, um which okay. was it was so far outside the realm of where they knew to put it that it was in new frontier as well so yeah. it's i mean listen i mean we can we can go forever about these sections and what they wind up mean and if they have definition where there are festivals i think that are actually have even less sense of definition around their sections the fact that we can even have a conversation about these says that there's been some 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 success in kind of pulling off what these mean but i do think next the fact that next has not a traditional jury is something i would love to see change at some point which will help I think get it even further towards a definition for what it is. It does have a jury, but it's a one person jury, which is what they've done the last several years, acknowledging that there should be a prize for these films, but it's not quite the same thing as having three jurors spending a, a week with these films. Yeah. Does the new frontier end up having a jury? No, no, There's it's no also one of the frontier. sections. Yeah. It, is, it is beyond the scope of the law. But I mean, in case anyone's wondering why we're talking about different sections, it's just, it affects, you know, the attention movies get, it affects the audiences that come. Some people might not even be consulting these sections of the more general audiences right. at the festival. It, it might affect the critical coverage, all of which will affect the profile and possibly the life of the film and the buzz around it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, and, and in other words, how it gets to you. Um, I, I feel like I'm doing my version of Miranda Priestly speech about Cerulean Blue. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah, those are the sections. In, in also, some, hopefully yeah. to encourage exploration, right? Yes, Across sections. Totally. I mean, that's, that's in the end the point. Yeah, yes. very true, very true. Very much. Um, well, we've just sort of done a jumbo-sized to uh, reference a film here. We covered ground. It was um, good. It was very good. Lots of ground, lots of sections. Um, and I think we'll, we'll move along because all of us have more movies to see. Um, but thank you for listening and thank you to our brilliant, I keep saying brilliant, I wanted to find another word. Tired, undefined. Tired. Tired. Still <laughs> here, lively. Obliging. Obliged. <laughs> Inarticulate. Thank you. thank you for indulging. All right. <laughs> Good night. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Angie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Get your 
copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment, featuring our Best of the Decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our annual Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Support nonprofit independent film journalism. Support Film Comment.